Welcome to another awesome and exciting episode of my podcast, Stitch Talks-ish. In this episode, I get to talk to fangirl Jean. Jean and I have been friends for five years. I think we kind of bonded over romance landia and fandom nonsense back in 2015, and we have been friends since. Jean is on my podcast this episode, and for one in the future, to talk about Loki, villains, villain fandoming, being in fandom, and why we see ourselves in villains. Now, there will be spoilers for the first episode of Loki. There will also be potential spoilers, depending on how accurate our guesses are and because of some of the pieces we put together for the future of the MCU and the future of the show itself. This episode also kind of requires some level of content warning because we are talking about villains, we mention fascism, um, we talk about the bad things that these characters do to each other, the bad things we do to each other. Um, and we also do it in a somewhat flippant tone because this is a conversation between friends who know where we're coming from. So Stitch Talks-ish is a podcast where we talk-ish endlessly. And that means that our conversations are very personal, very friendly, even when it comes to the tough stuff. So if you have not seen Loki, right? If you have not seen the first episode or any of the series so far, stop. If you um, have a low threshold for what you're willing to accept in villains or real people, which is fine, stop. This will be a conversation that this is a conversation that has been kind of years in the making for us just talking about what we've seen and experienced in fandom and with villains and i am so happy to have gene on my podcast and i'm looking forward to you guys getting to hear probably one of the best conversations i've ever had with another human being about villains and being a fan of villains so, shop yourselves in, because this is going to be a long one. So we're going to start our the body of our first Loki episode. I'm with Jean, who I've known since 2015. It's just really exciting to have you on my podcast. And we're going we're gonna to live up to the name of Stitch Talks-ish. We're going to talk some serious-ish about all things Loki, villains, fandom, and our expectations for both show and fandom across the next six weeks. Like we're going to just zoom right through that. Um, and if you're listening to this and you somehow missed the first warning about spoilers, there will be spoilers. There will be kind of potential spoilers because we might be right about our expectations. We don't know. So listen carefully. Don't listen at all. Come back in six weeks. Whatever works for you. All right. Yay. Yay. <laughs> 
how do we start? The first reactions? Yeah. Um, what <laughs> feelings? There's just so many feelings. Um, I think, like, I'm really impressed with the quality of the show. I'm, and I'm really impressed with the depth of the writing just in the first episode. Just oh, yes. like, right. The amount of the the amount of stuff being done is there's so much, um, and well, and the fact that they didn't just again spoilers they didn't just like go okay yeah we're picking up where the movies left off um they actually had us go through his i mean or had loki himself go through his mcu arc for his character which a fun little easter egg is that one of those scenes um between him and frigga is actually not in Thor the Dark World. It is actually a deleted scene they used for this, which I love because it, that, yes, yes, that scene where she goes always so perceptive about everybody but yourself is a deleted scene from that movie, which if you are a <laughs> super fan or even just like a Thor fan, you need to do yourself a favor and go back through all of deleted scenes from all of the Thor movies because okay. there's so much gold that they left on the floor. <sighs> So much amazing, just little bits that are all just character work stuff. And, you know, you know, those guys bring like 110% every time yeah. they do a scene. So it's just wonderful. But yes, like, especially there is, um, there's even more than that one little scene between him and Frigga. Um, but uh, again, like this is what I've been wanting. <laughs> like why, you know, you know, there's somebody in there in the writing room or in, you know, in the production team that's like, we've got all this stuff. Let's use that and put it in here. Let's figure out how to, to sandwich it in there. I love so, it. Right. And that's what's so wonderful about expanding the universe into television is that we get to have a six hour long movie about Loki, which Good. essentially is what we're getting with these shows is, you know, we got a however many hours of episodes we got with Wanda and Vision, we got to really, you know, deeply explore the characters, which I think is, um, is a, an interesting little aspect of each one of these shows are they're titled as the character's name. And I really feel that that's probably the thesis for these shows. The like base thesis is that each one of these shows is a character study, which oh, that's amazing. Yes. Right. Because it's very true. Oh. However, we just, we, you know, agree or disagree on how successful of a character study. Is. It's at least an attempted character study. Right. And I, and I like the fact that they get the freedom to do that, which I think, people have, you know, they have their, you know, superhero burnout, you know, whatnot discourse. Um, for me, I think the plus side of Disney and Marvel giving us so much content is that it creates a large enough world that they can do these small things. They right. can give us more like six episodes of Loki. Um, but also they can give us, um, I mean, this is my hope is that they can give us spaces where, you know, where if Karen, you know, is upset about the fact that there's, you know, a same sex couple kissing and the Eternals, then she doesn't have to see the Eternals. And it's not going to bother the box office one bit because Marvel has expanded enough that everybody will have something different and you don't have to. I mean, 
they want you to see it all so you can know that yes <laughs> but you can't like they don't they can be like well you know fuck you we don't care we're gonna have two dudes kissing in this movie you know like that they can expand it that long um and i i feel like that is definitely something that we're gonna see in loki like um there's been a i saw on twitter someone um noted that um on uh loki's tva paperwork his gender is listed as fluid and i will come back to that yes (laughs) but that was like we've always known especially in the comic verse right Um, there was a the specific i don't remember the specific comic but there was that period like 2015 or so where where it was like hey everyone did you know loki is gender fluid and is queer like loki was queered in canon beyond like well he beyond the norse mythology being interpreted as queer you know in the way that people do with mythologies i have the panel used it as a backdrop for my twitter for a while where in on page loki says you know he goes um i um i don't identify as gender fluid i am gender fluid i identify as a bitch (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) yes right and i believe i believe i might be wrong that's part of the uh loki agent of asgard arc which is a perfect segue into this because i feel they're gonna pull from it i literally they 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 pull uh visually at the very least from the plots um right which is such a beautiful like yes this is exactly what like I say we should just pull all these little bits in and and weave them into something that fits well (laughs) in the MCU I think that's the thing I like the most about Loki like so my first reaction is definitely like this is made for fans like not to do DC versus Marvel discourse, but aside from Harley Quinn, DC, Harley Quinn, the emancipation of Harley Quinn, um, DC movies don't really feel like they're made for fans. They Or they, they feel kind of embarrassed of the canon. You know, with the MCU, it feels like they're trying to balance like the, the general population appeal. Like, like, so my mom could watch Black Panther and love it, but also I, a person who's read Black Panther comics, can be like, oh, oh, I know where that's from. I know why that's happening. And so with Loki already, it feels like, oh, this was made for us, probably a little bit by us. And we're going to get more of that. And I think, um, I really like how it fits in also to the to the rest of the MC. Like I was thinking while you were talking about like a braid, it feels like a strand of a braid being weaved into the canon. Like like just like this elaborate like hair confection and Loki's like this really big point underpinning like everything like we've seen or read the interviews like of how this is going to impact the future of them, but how because they can't tell us how yet just that it will impact the future of the mcu and i mean we can make our speculations based on who's already shown up and we'll talk about those expectations at the end so you guys have time to prepare for the wildness that is our very nerdy (laughs) (laughs) just shouting about this um but yeah it's it's a really good first episode you know like i love uh wunmi masaka masaka 
from Lovecraft Country. Yes, 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 yes. She is fantastic. I I knew when she was cast, I was like, oh, this is this is gonna be the love of my life because I think she's serving. So so Owen Wilson. <laughs> Never gonna call him his actual character's name. No, no, he is Owen Wilson. Mm -hmm. That's why they cast him and bless him because he delivers. You know, uh, like one of the few people, everybody that's in a scene with Loki is doing amazing just by holding their own in a scene with Loki. So, but him especially. Yeah. Um, so she's the kind of I don't want to say bad cop, but a little bit of bad cop element so far where owen wilson is like oh i'm here to to gently guide you a little bit of tough love but there's love there's love here you know and i'm like i need i need i do not actually i know that um i think Winmi's character is hunter b i want to say b52 because that's where my brain is at i think like b13 or something like that yeah, that probably that makes way more sense. Yeah, but yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but yeah, she's like, she's very like, um, no nonsense. And I love that. Um, kind of the same energy as Io. But I do think she's going to soften way faster to Loki than anybody expects. I just, I have a vibe, which again is an expectation. So I got to stop. But I love when we... Um, she was one of the big reasons why I actually kept watching Lovecraft Country, even though her arc was very stressful in that show. Same, same. Yeah. On all counts, yeah. she is the reason I love her. And yes, and and I'm so glad she's in this. I am also hopeful. I mean, I am trash. I am shipping <laughs> Crash. I will just say the minute like I saw them in a scene together and the minute she hit him in the face, I was okay, like, okay, oh, it, I'm sold. It Who's threw me back. <laughs> it threw me back to uh Loki and Valkyrie in Ragnarok, where I was like, you shouldn't have messed with her, but but you can mess with her a little bit more. Right? Like, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, there's been a um a, a subtextual um, con- continuity of Loki essentially being a bratty bottom through the entire and like especially yes. a bratty bottom to women and like, yes. like it's the whole when Jane slaps him and he's like I like her I mean that was yes. the slap that was heard across the fandom I've read the fanfic I've written some myself like there is you know he definitely seems like um not even seem like a they I believe in every single movie he is in some form of bondage yeah. get a collar chain and this they really made this for this us show, right it looks really good in it i'm just saying it makes me think of how right after so the biggest ship uh to come out of the first thor movie after clint colson which is like i don't really have actual opinions on clint colson because that's not really a thing it's fueled by fandom but in the same vein, so is Taser Tricks, Darcy Lewis, and Loki. And yeah. I mean, we can all, we, at some point, like, we're going to have to have the conversation of the role Darcy plays in the MCU and the MCU fandom. She is the every girl, but also fandom doesn't ship her with like brown people. <laughs> so that's concerning. But Taser Tricks is like the perfect culmination of like, oh, 
we want to be the person who teases Loki, who who consensually smacks him around, who pulls his hair because he likes it. And that just edges into not safe for work territory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but she she served a really, really important kind of self-insert role for well, for the fandom. Yeah, and even from a storytelling perspective in that first movie, one of the things I think was really clever about the setup and the casting was that she was the Loki to Jane's Thor. Yes. And that, like, that especially that that these two very focused, very... Um, very not picking up on subtlety of things because they are very focused, um, had these chaotic, impish. sarcastic, impish, like instigators that were like their close people. And while, you know, Darcy was just an intern, I mean, like, the, I think they that there is something to be said about the fact that likely Darcy was the only person who signed up to be the intern for Jane. And that in and of itself says um, something about people who are close to Jane. And yes. likewise, like of all, you know, the, 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 the warriors, you know, that are Thor's friends, you know, Sif and all them. Um, those are the types of friends you think Thor would have, and he's obviously friends with them. But it says a great deal about Thor that his closest friend. Okay, okay. Oh, um, it says something about that his closest friend and you know his brother is this person who is so distinctly different from him who um has subtlety to how he speaks and what he does and uh yeah like that 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 in that way i think okay so the thing about darcy because let me I'm tripping myself up because I literally love that. Think about Darcy. Think about Darcy is that, okay, we all, well, not all of us, but you and I, we know what the fandom bicycle is, right? That that idea that everybody wants to ride on the fandom bicycle. And I do think that Loki definitely is a fandom bicycle. I think more so than any other, I mean, okay, so... Because the the nearest equivalent to the fandom bicycle, like in other fandoms, would be like Dick Grayson and DC fandom. And it's the same qualities, right? They yeah. just, like, Loki is not as nice as Dick Grayson, but he doesn't have to be. But mm-hmm. it's the, the trickster element is present in Dick Grayson as well. The, the unknown quantity. Yeah. And the kind of, well, because we, Dick Grayson is Roma. He is a person of color they have constantly been since Devin Grayson introduced that in the late 90s I think late 90s early 2000s have been incorporating that and doing it better than Devin Grayson did because the 90s people did use the G slur for Dick which not great at all mm-hmm. and so so you have that direct thing but then Loki is subject to or assumed to be subject to fantasy racism feelings of othering that's not fantasy. He's definitely the actual other in Asgard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, definitely part of what drew me to Loki was that that Dick Grayson-ness. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 
I will, there are things to say about Loki's otherness that I will get into, but with Darcy, and I think both the thing that makes her annoying to people who don't like Darcy and don't like the ubiquity of Darcy in fandom, um, and the thing of why people find her appealing, I think, is that there's very few characters, or at least especially at that time in the MCU, um, where where a feminine character got to be in on the joke. Yeah. Um, so we had, I think we had Peggy Carter by then, right? Mm-hmm. Had, she had to be... A straight man. She was the trinity to Steve's Neo. Had to be yep. twice as good and also be the love interest. And that was definitely the dynamics that were happening through... Same thing with Pepper. I mean, it was yes. that... And it's exhausting. Like, I like those characters, but um, especially as a queer person, I like those characters. I'm not that person. I definitely like to date them because they like to clean up my life. But as far as, like, the person who finds themselves in the middle of a world in which gods are real and superheroes are flying around, I feel much more like the everyday man feminine character is Darcy. And, um, and And I... I really have deep affection for those types of characters. This is the reason I love Scott Lang and feel like he is I, the best dad in all of the MCU. He is Scott. That's my, that's my boy. Right. I will. I definitely didn't expect to like Ant-Man the way I did because I'd read mostly with Ant-Man comics. I'd read or Ant-Man appearances. I'd read ultimate. So Mark Miller's awful stuff. Right. So I was experiencing this yes. point of view of Ant-Man that was not good, even as like a legacy character. I was like, this doesn't feel good. And so I wasn't even like, oh, I would like to see other Ant-Men. I was like, no, right. all the Ant-Men are bad. Sorry. Sorry to this man's. Sorry to this legacy. Goodbye. And then we get this dorky, like, oh, the response to all of this is, eh, eh. That, that's weird. I, I'll try. Sure. And uh, Ant-Man and Ghost, not Ant-Man and Ghost, Ant-Man and the Wasp, probably my actual favorite uh, non-Black Panther, non-Winter Soldier MCU movie, because it was really good. And the conversations that people were having were a bit complicated because they were like, Ghost is not a great character because she she's it was the whole thing where it's like a a marginalized person can't do anything bad or else it's bad representation I was like I think that ghost is really good representation she's traumatized and she's literally in pain and what do you do if you're in pain and you see your solution more or less like like we all watched Hamilton (laughs) we'll do what it takes to survive right I mean like (laughs) There's the, the, okay, the frustration I always have with representation conversations is that it's, it's putting the emphasis in the wrong spot because it is not Ghost's responsibility to represent all women of color in the MCU. Right. And it is the MCU's problem that it's not giving us enough women of color so that they can be messy and can make mistakes or make questionable choices or, you know, or be on both sides of the conflict. So, so it's those- trying triangle inches, but the inches are coming, like- Yeah, I know. Get Electra, and then I drop the ball with Electra, and then it's just little drops of, like, oh, I see what the MCU could be. When will it be that? And so, actually, that's one of the things that I am really excited about. Like, first episode of Loki, we have- we're, I'm never going to pronounce your name right. Gugu 
Mbatha Raw. And if somehow you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> so sorry. Um, playing so so the character she's playing, I think she's in also gonna show up in something else. Doctor Strange. I feel like that was casting. Somebody said it. I know, I know that she is um Renslayer is uh in the comic books the love interest of um 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 uh, King the Conqueror. I think that's the yes, guy. Yes, she is from the comic book. She has a pre-existing relationship with him. And I thought she was either going to be in Doctor Strange or possibly right. the Eternals, but I don't think mm-hmm. the Eternals. I think I wanted her in the Eternals. But um, but she, I definitely think we're going to see more of her. And one thing that did strike me about, um, about Loki was I don't think I saw any white women. <laughs> I mean... Maybe in the background, right. but it was really striking to me how many women of color, even like, I think the stewardess was a woman of color. Yes, and, she was. Like, and was it was like, just, hey. right. And I was like, I, I, I like this a lot, but. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I think, um, and I didn't expect to have this feeling because when you go into Loki, you're going, oh, okay. So clearly we're going to get white, mostly male presenting character so I wasn't expecting like any kind of like mm, representational vibes right but I did not just from Winnie not just from Gugu but just from the show like the the energy of the show of Loki kind of dealing with everything and I guess this is going to be where we kind of segue into the redemption arc but he feels like us Yes. And oh, let us talk. Let us talk about. So there is the point in which Owen Wilson, who again will only ever be called <laughs> Owen Wilson, um, does essentially uh, a That's Your Life with Loki, which was a, a 1960s game show. And I feel like they did a version of that that fits the whole decor. I have thoughts on that too, for why everything in the TVA seems to be frozen in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he does a That's Your Life. That's where Loki gets to see his entire arc in the um, <clears throat> in the MCU. And there is a thing he says to Loki about how everything he has done in his life has been to make everybody else the best versions of themselves. And there is a TikTok and I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes where someone talks about that. Maybe this, uh, this show is where Loki gets to be his better self, or at least that that's the aim that Owen Wilson's character is, uh, is, is going for. And, one other thing that I think is very interesting um, is that Loki's dialogue from the Avengers about the lie of freedom is repeated again and again and yes. again in the show. And I feel like there is um, a very distinct parallel between the lie or at least the propaganda that Loki was trying to perpetuate and even trying to tell himself and how much of that actually is what the TVA does. It takes away free choice uh, yes. to create any other multiverse. And um, and like, okay, and so if we're, if we're talking about 
why Loki feels like us and this feels like us. I feel like this is essentially his whole life, the way it's outlined, is what a story's antagonist does. And now this is his turn to be the protagonist of his story. And a protagonist that's Loki, that, you know, they keep saying is God of Mischief, Agent of Chaos. Um, The TVA is the enemy. Yeah. (laughs) And you think about what they do and that the three entities that decide what every trillions of individuals lives will become and that was something that loki he literally pointed that out like really like this is happening those three people get to decide all of this yep space lizards i believe is what he called them which i love (laughs) it's so interesting how because i know that all of the like DC and Marvel, while they're like connected but separate in that, you know, people move back and forth, plots do different things. The TVA, the, I guess the three heads kind of remind me of the Watchers, except not because not the Watchers. Um, there are characters in the DCU, the DCU who who literally just do that. Like we're mm-hmm. observing time and space forever. The multiverse is a thing that they care about. Whereas the DC approach is, yeah, whatever. We don't, we don't actually care. Like when the worlds collide, then we'll do something. The TVA seems to be more proactive, um, but is proactive better? Is proactive something that makes for a successful um, well, world? Um, there's a book series that's out uh, by Rachel Aaron called Heart Strikers. And in the last, so it's about dragons and I, I recommend it. Um, there's a dragon who um, basically watches over all the other dragons. He sees the future. I think he's literally called Dragon Who Sees Eternity. And his thing is he, whenever there is a seer born in a dragon clan, he's like, I'm going to tell you how you're going to, how you're going to fuck up and I'm going to have to kill you. And the recurring thing is that dragons who can see the future ultimately decide, oh, free will means that you guys are just going to fuck everything up. So no free will for you. And so Dragon Sea's Eternity has to show up and be like, I'm going to give you an option. You can stop what you're doing or I can kill you. Pick. And they always keep going until he has to kill them. Always. I think only once... um, once someone else killed the, well, because it's all, I mean, even if he doesn't actually kill them, he's responsible for their ultimate demise. And it's the the idea, one of the dragons he said this to was like, well, at least we'd be alive if he, if I did the future that I want, you know, we will have a future. And either Dragon Sees Eternity or one of that dragon's brothers is like, but what kind of a future is it if we can't make our own decisions? And like, so I'm watching Loki thinking, hey, I want a crossover. <laughs> I want some crossover right. fan fiction. But thinking of that, like the TVA ultimately wants to control everything. Yeah. And I think they, there's a subtext as well that's happening um, that, that they don't, they show it, they imply it, but the people who go off the nexus as they're listed on there, which is also uh, Easter egged in WandaVision. And there's a lot of fan theories that she is a nexus. Um, they, they don't, they don't 
actually say it, but they get killed. If you go off your timeline, you get killed. And that's what the whole trial and whatnot. And that's what, what Loki gets, you know, the whole, what is it? I forget prune or erase or something like the things like no pruning, <laughs> like, but, but that's what they're doing. Like if, if, if uh, the timeline is a tree, they're pruning the tree. So it's just a pole that goes up and up. And yeah. that is, a, so for me, especially about why Loki feels like us is that feels like that feels like systemic oppression and uh, and especially the idea so like you talked about with the the book about with the dragons is there's a lot of stories there's a lot of media that definitely appeals to a type of white christian perspective colonial perspective that sees god and omnipotent beings as being protectors of the righteous way of things like that they alter history or they do things so that you know that it's the right way and there's no question about whether they should and whether those things that are quote unquote wrong aren't just a natural product of what, of variation and yeah. of that, that they may, you know, and so like this idea that both DC and Marvel have these concepts of omnipotent beings that order the universe yeah. and time and reality in the way it quote unquote should be, um, says a lot about how deeply ingrained that idea that um, that we are incapable of making choices or that choices that uh, that don't align with the these very narrow ideas of what is right and what should be that align with basically white people white men's ideas of how things should be um it, it's very interesting and especially to me thinking about you know all the arguments about because there's a lot of drama right now in fandom mm-hmm. about the fact that they've said the tva said that everything that happened in endgame was okay what and by they're the wrong time including like they don't say it in the show but the the implication is that steve going back in time was approved by it didn't create a multiverse he was always there and i'm and that part not gonna argue with people about that part but the that part made me think about the fact that the that means that the sacred timeline was okay with all the suffering and oppression that happened through time and that there have been nexuses where things could have been changed and they were killed and they yes were and, and and as far as like okay as far as like what this means for Loki is this is the antagonist perspective of a protagonist story is that you think this hero thinks that what they're protecting is the right way is the good way. And the antagonist perspective, a good antagonist, not only is a reflection of who the the protagonist is, but they are a reflection of that everything that's wrong in the world of the story. And that is exactly what Loki is doing. <laughs> it shows us exactly what's fucking wrong with this entire version of the multiverse or, you know, this, this universe of the MCU is 
fucked up because it's literally got time and reality police saying it's okay that half of the universe died and then came back five years later and you know all of all of these like everything all you think about all these times because that that's what i love about multiverse is why i'm a multi-shipper is the idea of that that all of these possibilities and what could have happened that is also what i love um especially like so we're doing the batman uh discourse and like there's different uh people like you can't ship batman with this thing this character and i was like the multiverse is infinite so that was the best thing about being in the dc fandom if i don't if you don't like a canon there are millions more that you can write in your story does not have to adhere to that timeline and I am the I am the asshole that will go and say, you know, if if Batman is such an important and foundational character, why don't we get enough more stories of him in a version of himself where he's not a millionaire? Okay, I wrote that fan fiction, right? um, but I did also accidentally make him a cop, so that part wasn't great, but. but- but that's part of the journey too. Like I am totally like, like Bruce, part of his, you know, part of why he believes the way he believes and part of what Batman is, is propaganda is this idea that I, as, as this white dude who knows what's right is going to go out and enforce what I think is right on everybody else because and I have power and privilege. Like you definitely, Batman, it's the same thing. Like take that idea and make it, you know, expand it to the universe. And that's what's yeah. happening which is what this is why loki feels like us is because we we often exist outside of that system of what is considered right and yeah. get policed when we exist outside of that system and i know i know that people definitely like because i know that there are people like just i don't know if i have regular podcast listeners but if i do like the idea that like this is probably the nicest I've been to or or about white male ish character, probably ever, right? And I know that probably might throw people for a loop, but Loki is my weak spot. Like aside from Dick Grayson, because Dick Grayson is perfect for me, but Loki is that character. Like I think that he's a really well-written character except for chunks of a couple of movies where no and I think that even if it's even if Loki's otherness even if the allegories are handled a bit clumsily they're done in a way that we can still recognize ourselves the only issue comes with the fandom going like saying stuff like Loki is a person of color he's he, he's blue sometimes yes but that that does not make a person of color it does make him marginalized in canon in some aspects but that's not the same thing as a person of color especially it's a superman thing it's uh there's a panel from a superman comic where i think i think either i think wonder woman or lois lane is like well why why this why don't you wear a mask or something like that? And it's kind of like him laying out his white privilege. Like, oh, I can. It's it's just who he can be, right? Like, compare it to, like, um, 
um I don't remember the guy's name. Icon. Icon from Milestone Comics. Icon is a black Superman allegory. And he can't wear a mask because he would be a black guy in a mask. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, like, so he is their Superman allegory. And juxtaposed against Superman is that, like, he can't be anything but that. Yeah. Same with, um, what is, Mystique. Mystique can be, Mystique is also sometimes blue. Yeah, but Mystique makes the choice because of her past trauma to not be blue most of the time, except like later films in the different timelines. And there's a multiverse happening. Wow, <laughs> forgetting about that because I, I haven't seen the last because I, I don't do Brian Singer movies for obvious. Oh yes, yes. So like once those things started coming out again, I was like, oh wait, yes, I repressed that. This is why I don't watch these movies. Oh, they completely ruined Mystique's character. But um... yeah, yeah. But yes, Loki, Mystique, the blueness, the otherness. How does that tie? Because we, we we're gonna edge into the redemption, right? So we're talking about these this character who is an antagonist. He in in a really significant portion of the MCU, right? Like mm-hmm. he was one of the first biggest continuous villains and in the first episode of loki we see him soften we see him be confronted with his past and his potential future if had he not been yanked off of the path right yep and it's clear that he is going to have an actual some us well or that we're hoping kind of that he's going to get this redemption arc that looks like it's sketched out. Um, Cause I know people thought that Ragnarok give, gave him a redemption arc, but it actually didn't. It just made him more accessible, but that wasn't a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Loki looks like it's doing that. So how does that like, like let's talk about, let's talk about MCU redemption arcs and villains and how Loki stacks up. Well, okay. So one thing I will say to speak to people constantly um, or the idea notion that Loki is a person of color. Um, I think the reason that is a shorthand to kind of explain why, again, like you said, which I feel is the best way to describe what that what's underneath that, which is why does he feel like us? And um, I think before even Ragnarok, um, Loki's character arc um, or his character was pointing to the colonialism in our Asgard. Right. And I, and I remember I did a very like clumsy, like trying to articulate this, a Tumblr post many years ago, trying to explain um, why I get emotional every time um, I watch Thor and I see in the flashback scene in which the tiny little blue baby Lo- uh, Loki transforms himself into a white passing Asgard. A protective instinct. A protective instinct where he mimics the mo- like he mimics the predator, right? Right? Like that, that was a moment like, and that, that, that especially the way that that scene is edited in which Loki is asking Odin why, like you can create all these reasons saying you wanted to unite our kingdoms, but why? And then Odin never answers. And I love that that's left open because then we have to question for ourselves of like, what, 
how does that relationship, you know, the Odin kept saying, you're my son and all this stuff. And we know we revisited again. And, you know, he says to me, what is, what is happening in the end that, that, that relationship, you know, there was obviously a sense that, I mean, we all bond with that. I know for me being queer, being sometimes white passing, depending on what white people know about my people, (laughs) um, um, and definitely being able to code switch. Like there's a, there's an, uh, there is something that's very relatable about the trauma that Loki had gone through. Yeah. Um, and it is realized- definitely detailed, relatively detailed trauma. It's not like like a lot of other white dudish villains. It's, oh, well, I feel bad. So this person must have gone through something bad. Like until the rise of Skywalker, Kylo Ren, well, or, let's say halfway through The Last Jedi. Until like halfway through The Last Jedi, Kylo Ren didn't really have the backstory fandom thrust upon him. Mm-hmm. No, he, like, yeah. we didn't. We didn't get much. A canon still didn't really supply much. We still don't. Right. It was piecing really... together thoughts. And and that's completely different from Loki, where you literally see, like, he he is visually an outsider. And, like, I'm like, anybody who has beef with us saying this, I will have to fight them. Because this is true. He's the, the literal way that he's presented. The only, like, he's othered in a way that you don't actually usually get from like, like it's just it's very familiar coding it's coding it's coding yeah it's coding he's queer coded hardcore queer coded oh, yeah i am the thing that children With all of the coding are scared not of all of the coding there's some coding he's clearly not but <laughs> he is written in a way because i've been reading um what is it monsters in the closet it's a horror book i mm-hmm. use it for my thesis uh ages ago and it talks about coding and and i know that that it's very easy to dismiss queer coding right like especially because of how fandom uses it it is usually not or or we are talking about it as if it's not as if it's people going well i'm queer and i mm, i tie my shoelaces this way this character ties their shoe list is that way. So they must be queer. And that's a queer reading. And a lot of people do use coding where they mean reading, but there are characters where you're just like, no, this is coding. You know, you have this character kind of the, the way they talk or the way they are positioned, the way they look, it's supposed to ping a part of your brain and monsters in the closet um, I don't know if I think that's Harry Benshoff. I don't know if he has if he's alive. That's a thing. I'll have to look. But if he's alive, I don't know if he had ever seen any of the MCU. If he has thoughts on Loki, but I would be very interested because he talks about like the vampires in the vampire uh, vampire chronicles um, interview with the vampire mm-hmm. about those vampires who are queer and queer coded because Anne Rice didn't say outright like like there's no point where where Louis goes I'm gay for you Lestat right <laughs> and that's like kind of like fandom now needs that they need I am gay to be like oh yes this character is queer that's why the animation list is going through a lot of back and forth like the the list that was just released because some of those characters don't say they're like or they do the implications but 
And while that representation of I am blank is very necessary, there is value in I'm going to just layer it on you and hope you get the message. Well, and the thing that um, queer coding, I've, you know, I've, I've been guilty of using it as a way to try to like explain what I'm about to explain is um, what I think often where we have these questions about is this queer coded is, am I reading it as queer is, and it's specifically in the situation of Loki because um, Kenneth Branagh who directed it, I do feel like he said many times that he made it Shakespeare. He made the yes. word, you know, Shakespeare. Oh, and I think Shakespeare is queer. Oh, person, person oh, and text. Totally. Well, and I feel like what the, it was, there is a style of writing a character, especially a character that um, is oppressed and is, again, reflecting the problems in the world that they inhabit, that I think is a construct that is used in queer coding um, and, and othering, you know, othered characters that um, is similar to how queer people experience the world from a straight perspective. Mm. And that's what I think is happening is that you see, you know, where we might go, well, he's queer coded. No, he's, he's, he's coded as a person of color. And it's like, no, 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 what you're, what you're seeing is a, a person, you know, a white cis straight man going, this is what other people are like. This is what other people go through. This is why they're villains in my world is because they don't fit in my world because they're not like me. And that's why we keep seeing things that are like, that's like me. That looks like me. That feels like me. And it's like, yeah, because we're not cis straight men. (laughs) And that's why it feels like us. And I think that, especially in the construct of Loki, the way that he is, um, specifically the way that he is othered and felt you know feels especially as a dark reflection of Thor that is a construct of Thor's masculinity you know it is it is he is just getting larger and manlier as we're going right he's a he's huge which Um, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, he is also, Thor's character has also done a great job of making a complex type of masculinity that isn't as uh, as weighted down by toxicity. Um, yeah. or we've seen that arc of, you know, of him being like the, I'm a feminist because I fight with a chick to like deeply interrogating the fact that his whole family and culture is founded on colonialism like he really is i really did love ragnarok and i think that um it's really important because like we keep we were literally circling around the conversation of redemption literally we're like redemption more things and And it's related to the colonialism to the to the loki negotiation with like himself and it's because you can't have the redemption arc in progress that loki is getting without reflection right like this is what you should want for your antagonist if you're if you're any level of villain apologist or fancier you should want your your um your dude 
I guess, to have that kind of approach where where it's clear growth. And I mean, growth does not have to be like, oh, I recognize the error of my ways. I will never do a crime again. It could literally just be, oh, I see what I did there. I'm going to do that a bit differently next time. So like less innocent people die. That's still growth. Right? Well, and here's the thing. There's multiple versions of redemption within popular culture, like what it means to be redeemed and whatnot. And I do think that a lot of people call things that are essentially humanizing a character redemption yes, they do and uh or even just call things where oh they made that character three-dimensional instead of a, a cardboard cutout of a of a guy a guy in a black hat with a mustache um that's redemption no nah, not really like redem and redemption's a very complex you know and a lot of people have a christian very christian point of view of redemption and it is something that a lot of people definitely do struggle with, even when they're like, well, I'm not Christian. Like, you should want the, oh, not should want. If you want a character to be redeemed, you should know what redemption means to you and what it should mean to that character and how those two things collide. So you have, like, Loki is a Norse god. What would redemption, that concept of, accountability, reconciliation, whatever. What does that look like? Well, and here's the thing. Like, first off, whether we're Christians or not, we're raised in a culture that's heavily informed by Christianity and Christian yep. ideals. Thanks, so colonialism. About, right? And we, when we talk about redemption, we're talking about a very white Christian concept. Um, and one of the things that I think... Um, like when we, if we're talking about redemption we really need to ask ourselves what are we actually like take that word out of the situation and what are we actually asking for because a lot of times when people are talking about redemption they're talking about a, an idea of of crime and punishment that is heavily informed by our disgusting oppressive justice quote-unquote justice that is man when you especially as a fan of like christian mythology in fan fiction and versions like lucifer the tv show and all the different multiple ways in which those ideas and those that 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 um mythology is expanded upon and explored you you start to notice that um a lot of these concepts about like what we do with bad people <laughs> is really associated with Christianity's idea yeah. what is good and what is wrong and what happens to bad people, who gets to go to heaven, who goes to hell, which is just a place where people suffer, which is basically our prison system. You know, like the like um, a great example is um, uh, the latest episode of uh, last week tonight or last night what the john oliver news show (laughs) where it talks about air conditioning in prisons and that alone just that just right there if your concept of there's a difference between punishment and justice and i think the fact that you know before we can even talk about redemption we have to establish it who we're talking to are they talking about punishment or are they talking about justice because someone suffering 
that doesn't necessarily serve any justice. And especially yeah. when we talk about Loki and what we- the narrative in the, in the, not narrative, but in the mythologies is eternal suffering, right? It's the, the snake dripping acid. Is that what that was? It's been a while since I've done Norse mythology. Yes. Okay. So if we're talking about Norse and what, what so, so like, but the it, MCU was set eternal, up. It's not eternal, though. It's not. He, he suppose he's he's sentenced to um to his wife. Um, he's in a cave with a serpent dripping poison into his eyes. His wife has a bowl to hold the poison, but obviously it overflows. And she, when she empties it, it happens. It drips into his eyes, and when he screams and writhes, that's what earthquakes are. Um, and I and within North mythology, that only continues until Ragnarok. And Ragnarok is when he gets freed. So, and and Ragnarok, we could go into a whole <laughs> idea about Ragnarok as as Christian uh, media has portrayed it as 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 Judgment Day again, imposing Christian ideas onto it. And it's not not what Ragnarok is about. Ragnarok is about a change of power. <laughs> that is about it's about a regime change. Um, yeah. It's only frightening to people who are in power. Um, and. Right. Like, so, uh, so when we talk about redemption, especially in regards to Loki, I think the question is, that is too short of an expectation for Loki and for what he does and who he is, because I think what the reason that Loki is probably one of the best antagonists in the MCU is because he functions as a disruptor as he, he, he's not the one that fixes the problem. He's the one that showed you there's a problem by explaining it. And so that's what I think he will function as. And so as far as how people feel about him, I think we all love him because despite the things that he does, we understand who he is to some extent. Um, It's not just holding up a mirror to the MCU. It's kind of like a mirror, like not just a mirror to Thor, not just a mirror to the MCU, but almost like if you're watching, like if you're watching that, the, the kind of montage with Owen Wilson going like, well, here's the shit you've done and the shit you would have done if you didn't do this shit. Right. Like a lot of it was like, like the guilt, right? Like the guilt, like you sent them up the stairs to your mother. And we we haven't done that. Hopefully, most of us haven't done that. But that accidental betrayal or doing something that hurt people, like it speaks to what we do on a different scale. Because of course, he is a huge figure in this in this narrative. But and we are just small people in this narrative and even from within canon he is from a species that lives for five thousand years how old is how old is that's the question right because i think his character in the 2012 like in the avengers era so this is how i like to mark out because i like to mark out Loki based on what he's learned and how he's matured and same thing for Thor and really I look at the events of Thor that they are maybe high school seniors okay yes that's literally the energy I get right that and and when we think about like and I I say that not in like ages but I think of that in 
like societal responsibility. They are still kids. They still go get to go out and start fights with people and then come home and party, but at their dad's house. Like they don't have responsibility yet. The D.B. Cooper. Right? Right. That is perfect because it is, I had a bet with Thor. I had to do this thing. You know, Heimdall joined in. Right. Like it's right. and that was the sixties. And if he was kind of just like a chaotic teen Aesir then, what is he 40 years later if their lifespan is that long? And that's also a thing that like you see this happen with a lot of different like urban fantasy stuff. People don't actually sit there and think like, oh, we have an immortal character, but they were born 30 years ago. What are they then? If their character can either live forever or they live like five, ten thousand years what are they if they were born in 1990? Right. And at that point, we have to break down age, maturity, and these markers, not based on years, but based on experience. And And so I feel like, so if we're saying Thor is them being high school seniors, so they still don't own their own house. They've not had a job outside of working for their dad. They don't have a car of their own unless they steal dad's car. Like this is this is the level of responsibility and understanding of responsibility. And they're also rich kids. Yeah. And, you know, Loki finds out that he's actually not born into wealth. He's not the rich kid. He was an adopted kid. And he was adopted from people who he's been told his whole life are terrible monsters. Um, you know, so that really shakes him up. And he's having a, a not yet a full adult response to that trauma. So, and, and so his whole idea of like, you know what, I, I, you know, um, because the thing about Loki is that he's not wrong and not in that fandom (laughs) was right thing. No, like he sees the problem. He, in that movie, he sees the problem of like, Thor is not ready to rule. I don't know why you think an 18 year old who's never driven before should be sitting on the throne of Asgard, but he shouldn't. And like, you feel that like the whole movie showing you exactly like Loki's perspective. And he sets up that whole situation in order to prove that point, terrible choices of setting up a war to prove the fact that his brother is not ready to drive the car, but that's what he does. And I think when we look at the, you know, Avengers, what is that other than him throwing a tantrum by yeah, trying yeah. to like, right. He's trying to just, he's trying to burn down his brother's girlfriend's house because he's pissed like right like it's just like like, you know what you you said I'm a dick well I'll be a dick if you're saying I'm a dick that's what you know that's the level of maturity that's happening there so then you know dark world and this is like this is what I feel like we're seeing in that scene with Owen Wilson is we're we're having someone who's now an adult right like we kind of fast-tracked or or the timeline like took a jump like like the Loki and 5,000 years is going to be completely different from this Loki, but this Loki that we have right now went through a lot in a very brief period of time. So, yeah, and we see that with Thor too. Like, we see that in Endgame of the trauma of all the he lost his entire family in a very short, what, 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 you know, to the rest of us would have been an afternoon. <laughs> like amount yeah. of time for him. And so, you know, um, 
so what so when we talk about redemption i feel like what we're actually dealing with with loki is him trying to decide who he is because his original arc in the mcu by the time he dies he knows who he is he says his name before thanos kills him and he calls himself odinson so like that is a significant moment in which loki's arc is that he's figured out who he is by deciding who he's going to be and i think now we've taken him out of that arc and given him a new way to decide who he's going to be and so for me it's less of a redemption arc although i definitely feel like owen wilson's character is trying to redeem loki i think what we're going to be given is is an idea of like what it means to be who you are and be the best version of yourself. And I think the best version of Loki in this world in which things are so restricted is to be an agent, agent of chaos. Ready. Right. And like, I, and I, so I feel, and I also feel specifically with that whole, if you rewatch that whole scene, both the beginning and when they come back and talk again, Loki is telling you, like, Owen Wilson knows exactly what Loki is doing, and he does that. He gives Owen Wilson exactly what he wants. He gives him an emotional breakdown, says, I don't like murdering, He and, and says he's going to work with him. He gives him exactly what he wants. And I love that that's insight into exactly what Loki did with Thanos that off screen that we never saw. Yes. And he gives people the same thing what he did with the Grandmaster off screen. Mm. He gives people what they think they want before he's going to betray them. You know, so let's see what happens. And maybe this, you know, maybe what happened with that other Loki is very similar. Yeah. Um, I but, okay, so other other characters, other, other villains and redemption arcs in the MCU. I don't think the MCU does redemption very well. Again, because yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think that they've had really good antagonists. No, um, I mean, I love me some Killmonger, but he isn't. <sighs> actually a good antagonist beyond like like as in he is good at getting in the way but killmonger absolutely does not make sense like i watched black panther opening night with one of my college friends and when he was like the sun will never was it never set on the wakandan empire we're sitting there like what what did he just say (laughs) like we were horrified because it was like he was he's killmonger is very close to a Loki class character. Very close. And and it's why like I have this like perpetually in progress uh Killmonger Mbaku story where he is he does not die. Like T'Challa's like, okay, well, I don't want him to die, but he can't stay here. And Mbaku's like, yeah, I'll I'll I got this. But it's not, oh, I'm gonna fix him. It's Hey, how are we going to make this work? Because I also don't really like that guy. <laughs> Let's be a pain in the ass together, you know. And and the the thing that we get with Killmonger is like he, the MCU does the thing where because they did it with Carly, where the villain actually isn't wrong. Constantly, we're getting the villain except for Thanos. Thanos is definitely wrong. The what the shit, but the villain makes a point borders are being used to hurt people constricting people denying them access humanity healthcare. that's wrong that's carly's goal and she is killed for it she dies for it but before she dies she's turned into kind of like 
a stereotype of a, of a villain. She is the kind of like red scare 2021. It's like how, when all of the, the different MC, MC Marvel and DC villains in the eighties, even on the Batman TV show, the cartoon, you had communist villains because, well, what's scarier than people being communists, you know, but their, their ideas made sense up to a point and then they swerved them like Carly with the bomb, um, Killmonger with, we're going to ship weapons out to everybody so they can kill the oppressors. And it's like, hmm. And even Spider-Man up to a point because Spider-Man initially I did, I was actually a Tony Stark anti like this is a joke people who are listening to this and think I'm an anti-fan of things but I was very critical of Tony Stark and it literally I had to like pull back and I was like no I don't like how Tony Stark is written that does not mean I actually don't like Tony Stark it's the arc of how like I, when I saw Iron Man 3 and I was like that's what I was missing so I watched Homecoming and I was like just in my field I was like this is Tony Stark's fault this is Tony Stark's fault you know <laughs> But then I watched Iron Man 3 and I was like, no, the Vulture definitely is not actually a working class hero. The narrative initially wants you to sort of believe that, but he owns a company. Right. He believes see, yeah. he's a working class hero. We see his house. He's That house is probably like $300,000. <laughs> and that he probably had the house before the movie really kicks in. And so, so the MCU does a thing where you either get a villain like the vulture where you're like, Oh, surface level, this makes sense. And then you realize, no, no, that's not what's going on. Or you get the Carly Killmonger. They're right. But let's like make their argument really bad. Okay. So two things. Uh, I'm highly critical of Tony Stark. I love him. And I similar to, uh, to you, like part of the reason I always had a frustration Actually, you know, the big reason I have frustrations with Tony Stark is not Tony Stark. It is Tony Stark fans that aren't looking mm, at so the whole of Tony Stark. Um, Vulture, the whole of him is amazing. The whole of Tony Stark right? is incredible because that is an arc. Right? And the Vulture is a reflection of Tony. And that's why mm. I think he's a good, um, he's a good um, antagonist because I think he represents bad aspects of Tony, a, le- a level of, of thinking you're the good guy, thinking you're the, you know, the little guy. But when you actually have all this power and you're justifying the bad things you do to, to yeah. because you think you're right, which are bad aspects of Tony that and to some extent within that story arc is is trying to give Peter more perspective about the two different father figures coming at him with two different ideas of what is right and what is wrong. Um, I have varying ideas about whether it's successful or not, but um, so basically I feel like um, in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, Sam's speech that he gives to um, all the wealthy people and the cameras is essentially the um, script on which all MCU antagonists are written, which is, I agree with the message, not the method. Respectability politics in superhero films piss me the hell off. And that's why I have a hard time with a lot of the villains is because depending on how well a writer, like how good your writing team is, Mm -hmm. and depending on 
how well you understand why these things exist in the first place is, you know, like, is that person really bad? Because like, what is wrong with communism? You know, like, that's the thing. Like, if they're not asking those questions, then right, they never left do. With it hardly. You're left with a why, why, why? Yeah. And you're left with that. The reason you like the, the, the troop I hate is the, you know, the villain who seems like that, you know, that are, are sympathetic villains. You're like, oh, well, they have a point. Oh, but then they're going to kill everybody. Right. Um, I, when I was like in February, when I was like, I'm going to just try to be offline. I was rewatching the MCU. That was the thing where I was like the they keep doing that thing where you're sitting there like the villain makes a lot of sense they like like the 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 wild comparison i made was like a villain going i want everyone to have food dot 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 and that's why we should kill and eat babies (laughs) right well like okay and and you know the funny part is if you look and see that they applied that idea to thanos but they didn't realize that thanos was never right because that was funky (laughs) eco-fascism Yeah. <laughs> so like you're like didn't he have a point no jared he didn't <laughs> i think that was the wildest thing about like all of the different fans online like thanos had a good point like it was half of the no that's no. a that's not how that works mm-hmm. b he could have just done the reverse and given everyone the resources to take care of the society um, but the the discourses around Thanos really kind of opened my eyes to how many comic fans are ecofash. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That was that was. Uh, oh yeah, no, and I've known that for a while as a fan of Warren Ellis's work. <laughs> yeah, those, those circles definitely um, intersect. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I like. Mm. A lot of people took things like the authority at face value, and like I have very upset feelings with Warren Ellis. Very complicated feelings about the authority, yeah. um, but that the authority is another one where people will sit there see the authority members do like something horrifying and they're like oh well they did it for the good of the planet or the world and I was like you understand that the authority are fascists right like I love me Submidnighter and Apollo but they're fascists right I'm like I was just really excited because we got pretty gay fascists <laughs> I was like this is upsetting like, yeah, the gay guy gets to be a fascist I used to write fic I used to write fic and there was a point where I was like I think I have to pull back because it is that we are going it's kind of like navigating like that balance like like yay like he does they get to they get to do the same fucked up shit as everybody else that's great and they're like oh they get to do the same fucked right, up shit right. as everyone else exactly. and especially with with the, with the authority the middle so volume so mark mark miller's volume so volume two i think either he did the second half of volume one and volume two or he just did all of volume two so whatever mark miller did volume three volume three and then like volume four and five were just terrible because it was like scattershot but the two central like two and three were the clearest these are bad guys they are like mirror verse justice league you aren't actually supposed to root for them but then everyone including myself went 
okay, but Midnighter and Apollo have a daughter. Her name's Jenny Quantum. If you've ever heard of her, you know, they deserve good things. And and I think that was like, like, I'm definitely, I'm a low-key apologist. I was definitely a Midnighter and Apollo apologist. I was like, oh, well, I'll write a fan fiction where they don't do that stuff. Okay. Yeah, well, and let me, let me, like, okay, I will say this. Part of where I say, like, yeah, the gay guy gets to be a fascist is that, like, again, I feel like there are times when creators see things and they replicate them and they kind of, they don't necessarily know what it is they're making, but they feel like, you know, like, they're like, I see a thing. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to put it in here. And I, I love Midnighter because I'm like, yes, let's talk about the toxic masculinity and fascism in the white cis gay community because they fucking love that. Like, let's He is gay murder Batman, right? He is is the embodiment of no fats, no Asians. And (laughs) like, you know, the whole, like, that whole- That is the guy that, you know, despite the fact that you will have, you know, activists on Monday, Friday, but we'll go bang this terrible guy because he's super hot and you can scrub your clothes on his stomach. Like, I mean, it, you know, but when it comes to like, when it comes to authority, I knew I only, the only reason I can say that I know what, what Warnell specifically was doing with that. And Mark Miller has no, uh, not a subtle bone in his fucking body. And that's why it's more obvious in his part of the run is because I read Stormwatch. Yes. He did the exact same thing with Stormwatch where it was like, we're doing a great thing. We're doing a, wait a minute. Wait, wait, you literally got the embodiment of murder as a member of our team. Like she's literally a, a, an, an immortal embodiment of death and murder. What? We're, we're the baddies? I mean, like that is, that is a continuing thing that Warren else does and yeah. problematic things. He is definitely the embodiment of of the clever white dude who thinks that if he makes everybody, uh, you know, essentially bad, then it's okay for the bad things he does, which is another underlying thesis of a lot of his stuff. Yeah, which just put a lot of stuff into context for me, just like, because I I always go, oh, I love Warren Ellis's work on Stormwatch and and The Authority, but God, I really hate uh, Mark Miller's stuff. And it's like, actually, they're the same coin. Then totally. It's just, One's it's, just painted. So you see right, it clearer. Right. He just paints the outlines <laughs> a little darker so you see what he's doing. But like and and to some extent that I can wing that right back into um what should make a really good antagonist is someone who, who sees those issues sees the problem and then thinks that justifies what they do. And that's the difference between like having to Malar bold the lines of like making Carly kill, you know, we're going to kill them when it makes no sense um, is, um, is honestly just a reflection of, of poor skills and understanding those characters and why they should work and why they should the same, honestly, same difference in killing them. This is part of the problem I had with Killmonger. I wanted to, I wanted T'Challa to be like, no, we're saving you because I wanted his arc to be about, uh, uh, restorative justice. Especially about- because we get that in Civil War. Right? So- and that, 
that is another problem I have about women and people of color have to die. Yeah. Like that's their redemption arc is like, if I could trade Zemo for Killmonger, I would. would. I would. Dude. Well, because also Michael B. Jordan is very, very nice. I want want an awkward European disco scene with with Michael B. Jordan. He would kill it because he he is kind of awkward. I wanted the whole Thor the Dark World with Black Panther 2. I wanted that of like Killmonger's been, you know, in some kind of, you know, prison situation in, in Wakanda, but now like some villain that he's worked with before has arisen and T'Challa's got to get him out of jail to get him to help <laughs> him and like have the, the, I wanted the wild hijinks of these two who really have similar aims, but completely different approaches, but odd couple stuff, right? Like, and of course, now I want the painful, I want Killmonger to have actually been alive this whole time. And then when and, uh, you know, he finds out T'Challa has died, then he's got to like. I want to-, to figure out how to write fic again so I can write this. Like, I want that. I want a form who uh, who literally asks himself every day, "What would T'Challa do?" I want that Killmonger. Oh, we deserve. We deserve that, right? Like, if we're very lucky, maybe, maybe they'll be like, "Well, he didn't actually die." Because I mean, we got that with other characters they got technology yeah Yeah. like he was just in a coma for like five years or i don't know (laughs) um well yeah like the the like they had to do all like you know yeah we glowy purple stuff to him to fix it and you know But because because again, like you know, if you want to talk about real redemption, it is not death. It's the opportunity. It is the opportunity to to not fix because we can't fix the things that we've broken, but to have the opportunity to be a better version of ourselves. That is what I think redemption should be about. And part of the problem I have with a lot of what the MCU has done um, with the villains, because you know, they're just doing it to, as a disposable yes. situation. There, there, there's definitely a lot to say there. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Um, what about, we have a couple more things to talk about and then I should probably let you go. <laughs> um, we have talked a bit about fandom and just we're both people who like villains, right? <laughs> like clearly we like villains. Why? Beyond the coding, which we talked about, but like what else draws you to a villain? Like a good villain? Like what is the villainous constant in your life? Like when you're like, like what's your archetype? Like mine would be like Thrawn. <laughs> And and that kind of like that that antagonist that stern he's right but also definitely kind of a fascist because um, I just keep I was like forget and that's a problem <laughs> but like you know that, that that kind of constant like the I'm doing this for the best possible reasons say goodbye to your freedom kind of character and then like maybe maybe eventually they're like oh yeah that wasn't the best approach but they definitely start out with gonna take your freedom probably take your house 
definitely taking your car. Like that sort of like, you can't do anything without me. Like, I, I like the Darkling is kind of thrawnish for mm-hmm. me. So like that kind of quietly menacing, hyper-intelligent, like you understand why they're doing the things they're doing. But you're like, ooh, don't do them near me, but also do them near me. <laughs> like, yes, please. Yeah. To the left, please. Yeah, no. Um. So I, I was trying to look up the actor and I know I'm not going to find. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. No, I found. Okay. So my is favorite villain uh, favorite antagonist possibly like my favorite was well, definitely my favorite Shakespearean character possibly my favorite fictional character ever um is Aaron the Moor from Titus Andronicus by uh mm. Shakespeare he was uh, played perfectly by Henry Lennox in the Titus movie Ooh. from uh night uh uh, 1999 um, that starred uh, Jessica Lange and uh, Anthony Hopkins. Highly recommend if you've not mm-hmm. seen it. Alan Cummings is in it as well. Fantastic. It is like theater as a film. Beautiful design, beautiful execution of the story. Um, but so to give a quick, you know, Alan, uh, so Aaron is, um, he is an enslaved man who is enslaved to a, um, 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 a Gaulish queen who's been captured by uh, Titus, who is, a, you know, commander of the Roman army. Um, and so we have this character, you know, and, and the queen is, you know, the, she ends up uh, seducing the, the, um, the Roman emperor and becoming his consort. So she goes from being, you know, prisoner to being consort. And, and she is, uh, she wants to bring down Titus as revenge. And so she plots, she and her sons and also Aaron do all the horrific shit. I mean, there is rape, there is cannibalism, there is gnarly shit that happens. And, and, and to, uh, to a certain extent, to the majority of it, Aaron is the one that's helped coming up with the plots and ideas for all the stuff that they're going to do and how to execute them. And is kind of a puppet master, which is fascinating because mm. he's an slave black man um to these white people who are all doing their things to you know kill and and avenge themselves on each other and the whole thing ends in a giant bloodbath but um there is a point in which um the uh the queen has you know because he's been sleeping with her has his child and it's while she's you know, having sex with the emperor. So she tells her sons or the nursemaid to get rid of the baby because it comes out black. And he ends up killing the nursemaid and taking his son and fleeing. And so you have like this whole artwork. He ends up getting, you know, captured by the Romans. And there's this beautiful monologue in which the Romans, and I believe it's Titus's son, tell, you know, tell him, you know, what are your last words, such and such. And he delivers this fucking fantastic monologue about, like, uh, his only regret. It, or he says, you know, I've done 10,000 terrible things and my only is regret, regret is that I didn't do 10,000 more. And right, like, and like he even talks about like digging up people's, you know, recently deceased family members' bodies, carving never forget on their chest and leaving them on people's front doors. Like, he is hardcore. But 
Um, the thing I like about him is that in the, his construction within the story, um, and in that whole story, which is just a huge thesis on violence and on the, you know, dis- the contagious and destructive nature of violence, mm-hmm. um, he is a product of his enslavement. And that, like, the question that is unsaid within the text to me and, and you know, in his final scene is, why is he like this? Right? Yeah. What, well, he is only replicating what has been shown to him. And it's really the humanize, humanizing him uh, through him protecting his child and talking about, because he has another really short monologue with when, he, when he's with his baby son, talking about his son's skin and how beautiful his son's skin. And how, right, it is, I'm telling you, like tears okay. like funny I'm have to, uh... you just need this movie but you need the play just mm. um and so for me like the thing I like about him is that in many ways Aaron reflects the the foulness of this world and that he lives in because he's the one that's most victimized by it. And so the question is, is he really a bad guy? I mean, especially when he's around all these people who have literally raped, you know, girls, cut up other people's sons and fed them to their mothers. And Which like, is like very, that is, um, that's, that's some mythology shit right there. Right, right. Like, oh, Shakespeare. Mm my homie but like <laughs> I just, but no but like seriously um and so like for me like to some extent Aaron inhabits all of those all the different archetypes of an antagonist he is uh, a troublemaker he is constantly like he has a sides to the audience where he's like I'm going to tell him to do something really fucked up you know like so you and know, then they sure. do it and he did them they do it and he's like i'm gonna set them up so they get killed <laughs> you know um and you know so that fun trickster aspect but then also that part that has like a deep part of the reason that he is so cynical and so doing these bad things is because he has a deep well of of like love and humanity that has been so wounded by the shit of all the people around him and the world that he's in, that's how he becomes this way. Like you can't be a great antagonist without having a deep well of humanity within you that has been wounded. And right. And I think that's kind of similar to how we do like the, the horror movies. Like I can't sit through a saw movie, but my sister has um, seen all of them. The best horror movies are kind of, or to her are movies like saw where you realize, Oh, that's what's going on or like you know like how like right now a lot of people are kind of reimagining classic horror villains like from the slasher films you get like um summer camp summer camp teacher uh jason right yes oh my gosh yes and i'll put a link to that in the show notes because the comics are really weirdly cute um but also gory um but it's that thing where where they're reimagining like like we don't get to know all of this about jason you know but like once you realize oh that's that's why you're like this it's it's not an excuse and that's the one thing a lot of villain fans 
especially maybe like of a certain class don't get what happens to a villain explains why they're like this it doesn't excuse it you know and it shouldn't if if you're reading or if you're reading or creating something where the villain is like they monologue like all of this bad stuff happened to me when I was a child and then they go and, and they go and that's why I'm like this and you then go oh my little baby who's never done anything wrong while he's like mouth deep in like a body <laughs> what no like like Hannibal Rising is my favorite film Gaspard Uliel that that's my Hannibal that's my man's Gaspard Uliel plays that role perfectly because you see him, the horror that he went through. Like, I think he spends half of the film like, did I eat my sister? And I, I can't remember if he did actually eat his sister, but it was it, it was like Misha. He, he keeps thinking of Misha and it's, it's, it's this haunting thing across his whole thing. Like, he's fucked up. And he, he responds because of that trauma. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, so I've written fan fiction. This is great. And I'm still like, but perhaps eating them was not the best response. Like, it does explain it, though. His trauma is centered around cannibalism. No shit. To enact a just revenge, he's going to eat them. Mm-hmm. And I said that. And I hope that, like, anyone who listens to this understands that we are not advocating cannibalism. No, unethical, unsanitary, blah blah blah. Well, and so, also murder, right? Like, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, um, so just in case, I, I was I'm unsure of how much I have to spell out. Um, we're going to need to put several warnings on this because it I, always comes back to cannibalism for me. I, right, I do not condone cannibalism. I think it's a fascinating storytelling device and metaphor for how you know the sins of our world consume us. But like, you know, don't condone it, IRL. Sure. It's also um, really bad for you. Just it's real, like it's a danger. It's a, it's dangerous. Yeah. You might as well just like just eat cuttlefish if you want danger food. Um, but <laughs> but no, like so, but that is a great example. Hannibal is a great example of how how the terrible things that have been done to a character turns them into the terrible things that were done to them, which I think narratively speaking and story-wise, um, through the ages has been a way to process. Um, the idea of, well, how can I be not be that person? And so like the antagonist exists as, as uh, or at least that type of villainous antagonist exists as a, as a uh, negative to the hero to go, this is where I shouldn't go, or this is how they make yeah. a mistake, right? And I should be able to do better. Or, um, you know, or a cautionary tale of like, I could go too far and this is how far I could go and that's bad. But I think, again, it, what happens with uh, storytelling and media where we take things we don't necessarily understand, we replicate them. And through that replication, we're able to see something that's very true to life, even though if that wasn't the intent. And I think like, again, Hannibal, great example, Loki, great example of um, what can happen when trauma can transform us if we don't deal with it can transform us into the things that hurt us in the first place which is absolutely a dynamic especially of abuse where um when you have power situations be it parents 
abusing children or, or, you know, authority figures abusing whatnot. Um, the only within that dynamic, when we believe that power exists only in this way where one has more than the other, we can replicate and try to heal or make ourselves feel less victimized by exerting power over those who have less power than ourselves. And that's how the cycle continues, which, you know, so like, uh, so that's what I see looping it back with Loki in Avengers is that the only way that he could survive and, and have power was to be essentially Odin. What yes, Odin did with the, the Nine Realms. He was being Odin 2.0. And that was a reflection, uh, you know, of what he was, you know, that's how you be a hero. Yeah. And so, you know, not well handled by Whedon or, you know, of course not. Right. But that is there. And so, like, I think what makes us fans of villains is seeing that, seeing that part, like that, that, you know, seeing the wounds that resemble our wounds, but also seeing the anger. That's the part I think that is very, that leads to the, well, it's not their fault or like, no, it's, you know, is the, is wanting to have like that, like, cause we get those characters give us the catharsis of having that rage and anger that a lot of us are shamed out of expressing or suppressing feeling and yeah. anger often like the, actually the only way, you know, in our culture, anger is acceptable is when it's considered justified. And right. I think that's where that connection comes from. Like their anger is justified. Therefore it's okay that he killed 80 people. No, no like, <laughs> It's the it's the constant thing. Like I mean, across all of these characters, like like we've talked about across this episode, um, except for Thanos, everyone has a reason why they're like this, right? Like we we've talked about Loki a lot. Midnighter is experimented on for like fourteen years and tortured. Um, so is the there's another character in this series who's like all the characters in the Authority have been tortured. I think, like yeah. like you have reasons for why they hurt people and when it comes to fandom and some of the narratives it's just important to go like yes I like this character but I'm not and I know that people are like we shouldn't have to say we don't approve of the character but actually yes because the way that we are replicating it is not great because we are because of how much we are attached to these characters right for the most part we aren't having conversations like like how we you know we brought up apollo midnight or like yay we can be fast too a lot of people like we're not playing it straight yeah (laughs) we're not (laughs) but a lot of people don't remember to wink at the camera or Mm -hmm. a lot of people are actually like yay we get to be gay fash but there are people who do that and they should think about that and 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 i think you know regardless of age because i will definitely remove off the ages i think there there are people who haven't had these conversations and haven't had the the growth to understand that process, be whatever age. I know we often will go, it's kids, you know, kids don't know, teenagers, whatever. 
there are people, I've been in fandom long enough with adult people who have not gone through these journeys to understand these things, or they're only just establishing a relationship with their trauma. And so they're looking for things like they're feeling an impact of other people judging a character who they see reflecting their own trauma and feeling that judgment repli- that that it is replicating trauma they've had you know right. judgment of them so like and they've not had that ability or you know learned how to distance themselves yet um that's again me trying to give grace <laughs> to people <laughs> I'm like, there are some people who are just assholes and want the world to burn and i get that but um one of my um one of my favorite things to talk or favorite characters to talk about redemption and talk about restorative justice is Bucky. And um, especially because the narrative gives a lot of people the easy out to say it wasn't his responsibility. He didn't do yeah. it. And he shouldn't feel guilty. I've repeatedly <laughs> seen people talk about there's no reason for him to feel guilty because he didn't do it. It was and and so like. And the big thing for me is to understand, and I and you can absolutely apply it to Thanos, and is that I don't think, again, storytellers necessarily know all of what they're lumping in when they put these things into their stories, but it's coming along because it's part and parcel, is that Bucky is an absolute fantastic embodiment of the trauma of violence what it does to you and especially what it does to a soldier and so regardless he didn't like he didn't start world war ii he was drafted ladies and gentlemen and whether he was fighting for america or hydra he is permanently fucking traumatized by the things that he's done and the things that were done to him I think and that, that people, is the allegory there that he needs to deal with is you know it's easier for us to go with those hydro winter soldier stuff that he's dealing with but that's just a metaphor for being a soldier and for being exposed to that much violence again like if this is he's a reflection of what the world has done to him and Thanos is a great example of that too of that he is a victim of genocide now inflicted his people inflicted the genocide upon themselves but he is a victim of genocide who has decided that a more controlled genocide will fix the problem (laughs) i wonder because like so we learned kind of from bucky that therapy does not actually fix everything depending on your therapist and their approaches because we learned from falcon and winter soldier that we're watching bucky kind of do his therapist well, and he has therapy. It's terrible therapy. And also, I only justify that shitty therapy because I'm like, that's government mandated therapy. Oh, yeah, it's not going they to be good. They don't really want him to get better. It's just mm. checking a box, right? So, yeah. So some level of engagement with self, with mm-hmm. good therapy helps. Thanos definitely could have probably used just a nice talk before all of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so to just because we are not we are not bad people for liking villains. And I know that there are people who think that that's like a defining thing I say. And that's very bad at this people who think that. But we are not bad for liking villains. And we're not even bad for for 
over identifying with villains. The issue only really comes when you go and make excuses for for your for your gay fash murder husbands. Um, or if you think if you if you write an essay about why actually Thanos was correct, that sort of thing, like that's where the problems come in. And that's what I'm interested interested in seeing, like as we go through Loki, right? Like this is an expectation I have for the fandom. I expect that like the Bucky fandom with Falcon and Winter Soldier, we're going to see people ignore what we're being shown, which is, hey, this is hard. This character feels bad. This character is trying to be their best self. And they're going to go, oh, okay, so this isn't this person's fault. This isn't Loki's fault. He has no reason to have an emotion. He should just go do whatever he wants. Even when the narrative is telling them Loki's experiencing feelings and they're valid feelings, they're invalidating these characters' feelings because they over-identify with them. And I think that 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 is where the problem comes in. You are not wrong for liking villains. I love Hannibal. I, I went... I was going to go on my first date to see Hannibal Rising. That didn't happen. I read the book at the library and then watched the movie. But (laughs) I love Hannibal. I understand that Hannibal went through hell. I've written Hannibal fan fiction where he gets a very happy ending. You know, like he deserves some level of peace. He also eats people. (laughs) And that's the thing you can't let go of. Loki amazing character tons of really fleshed out just growth growth and so it's even before this first episode that gave us all of this the avengers movie did still happen though he definitely did do all of that even if this loki didn't do everything that came after which wasn't that much but still that Mm -hmm. much (laughs) he still did the avengers movie he still didn't handle like his response to trauma was to hurt lots of people mm-hmm. and that's the only thing that matters really i guess ugh, the ethics of vi- villain standing is love your villain don't love what they do yeah no absolutely and and that like i think the process for me the way that i the reason i love uh these characters is because um that they challenge me to look at how they became the way they were. And that gives me a better understanding of the story and of um, the other characters in the story. And I think and a good challenge uh, for people who think, you know, I just, you just like evil people is that like with these characters, there are people in the narrative that love them. They are like, like you can't really like, this I remember back in the day on Tumblr writing this whole like whoever thing like oh because it was a early days like embryonic days of of the Loki stand fandom ish corners of Tumblr where people would write these huge prints about how Thor was terrible and mean and he was the reason his bullying was the reason Thor loves Loki I'm like fuck you. Loki would be the first person to kick you in the face oh. because Thor loves Loki. Thor's entire arc is about literally trying to make like Loki see that he is a, he is worthy. Right. It's like, you know, the Meet the Robinsons? Uh, Meet the Robinsons where the, the little kid is like, just, he's like, I feel so alone and unloved. And I'm like, everybody is trying to connect with him. That's Thor to Loki. Like, Loki's like, 
everyone hates me. I have no friends. I have to do a murder, I guess, a crime, whatever. And Thor's like, do you want to, do you want to go, um, kick a dinosaur across a field with something <laughs> just he he it's clear and that that these are loved characters Hannibal is loved by his uh the Japanese woman that adopted him I can't remember her name the whose husband is her oh whose husband um, is uh his yeah. uncle I can't remember her name uh, I feel bad but I'll link to the wiki for Hannibal Rising but he's loved by her. He loves her. You know, there there are a few, few of these villains who are entirely unloved. Thrawn has Eli. That, that's like, that's a, that's a thing right there. Darth Vader. Darth Vader has, well, he's Luke. He does not have Leia, but he has Luke. You know, and even Kylo Ren, my enemy. He does have Ray. He does have his mother. He did have his father until he killed his father, which that part does not, that doesn't, that's not good. But he, villains, villains are people. Let me just step in here with Kylo Ren, because if he had been written better, his entire love is his antagonist through that arc, that whole series. And that's the whole point. Like the whole The whole point of him killing his dad was thinking that that would finally rid him. Like if you do the most darkest, terriblest thing that he would finally not feel this conflict and he does it and it gets worse and in better writing would have made that make more sense for his character. But like that's the Lucas film. Right. (laughs) but yeah no um like and that that is the part like what is especially with his character which is that i will acknowledge this as someone who loves his character loved his character back then shipped Raylo back in the first movie um when it wasn't a thing and it's not a thing uh in that movie sorry everybody um but uh is the idea what again what the narrative gave me and then I got to fill in the blanks myself about how did the son of Han and Leia do this like what the fuck happened and And the only canon that we got that kind of tried that was um I think maybe a Claudia Gray novel I don't remember the title but I think it was a Claudia Gray novel it was the one where it's revealed through like a video message blasted to through space that Leia is Darth Vader's bloodlines. Uh, yeah, and yes, yes, yep. bloodlines. And I have it. I Fantastic book, highly yeah. recommend. And Kylo, that's we were told that that was Kylo's kind of trigger point. But I mean, actually, to be fair, yeah, that could make sense. Yeah, I guess he's very hard but then like the movie the movie because I think that came out before The Last Jedi so The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker go nowhere with the plot lines that the new expanded universe crafted for Kylo because you know a lot of people get really angry like so when uh, Ashley Reese for Jezebel did her Snape Wives article she mentioned that like the really rabid like bitey uh Ray Kylo fans um reminded her of 
the Snape wives, which reminded her of, of the aggro Snape wives, which reminded her of school shooter fandom. And it is, it is something that like sets people off. But Kylo Ren literally is representative of the of toxic masculinity, which is packed with violence and racism. He is, if if we snapped our fingers and and Star Wars sequel trilogy was layered onto our world entirely, Kylo Ren would have marched on Charlottesville. Absolutely. And I think, um, I can't remember which one it is, so I'll give you the links for both. There's Savage Appetites, um, a great nonfiction book about um, women um, uh, and intimacy with true crime. And then the other one is uh, Bad Bad Mothers and Dead Blondes. And I can't remember which one covers this, but one of them covers um, Colin Biner's fandom. Mm, Yes. And how many of them were young girls and what that, and it's done with a lot of compassion about what um what is being expressed there especially about for young women and you know um about uh rage feeling outside yeah feeling, and how how that often replicates itself into how we present ourselves in different fandoms and I definitely think that that gives a lot of insight into why we end up taking these relationships essentially parasocial relationships with fictional characters in these dark, you know, these more aggressive, you know, forms of being able to justify us hurting other people. And lots of people at that. And I mean, every, it's not everybody does it, but it is also everybody does it. I expect that we'll see, especially depending on the trajectory Loki takes, we will see an increase of super aggressive um, Loki fans or Loki anti-fans. hurting people in order to um because they're they feel wronged because the the narrative would be for loki fans he is what i am or or actually for both would be he is a survivor of trauma and so this thing you want to do with him or this this thing you have said about him hurts me whether it is shipping him with someone you don't approve of or or not shipping him with someone it's going it's it's going to set people off. I think this is a, a so second expectation for the fandom is we're going to see very personal parasocial relationship uh, in action on two separate sides of this. Even though I don't think anything in Loki will actually be worthy of this. Like, I think that they're going to give us a really good show that is actually the nuanced villain take or antagonist take that we've all wanted from this fandom and that we've wanted with other villains that have gotten dropped mm-hmm. you know like but i think that we're gonna see because everybody is so personal about how we like things or how we don't like things like if you saw a gita jackson for kotaku or gizmodo she's a culture writer she did a tweet of just like calling hermione a know-it-all right and the backlash was like, you just hate neurodivergent women. There was a, a pretty big account, like like a, a self-advocacy group for uh, autistic people going like, you just hate autistic people. And, and it's just like, that is not what Gita said. That is not what Gita said. And as somebody who has been a know-it-all their entire life, 
know-it-alls are annoying. It's fine because you'll find your people who love that about you. Well, and that brings up a point I wanted to make because there's definitely the two sides of fandom reaction that we're going to have with Loki. But again, because by the nature of social media, we're going to have a lot of people who are not part of the fandom or not as active, you know, in the fandom who are also going to have come with their own perspectives, their own different perspectives and valid, which is difficult sometimes to parse from these conflicts in fandom because a lot of times one or both sides will take those very valid arguments like you are we really going to claim that Loki is a person of color when he's played by a white guy? Are we really going to claim that Loki is a trans or non-binary uh, role model when he's played by a cis person? Like those kind of very valid criticisms are going to get usurped by one side or the other and used to say, if you're a fan of Loki, the show, then you're transphobic. Or if you're a fan right. of, you know, if you hate, Loki, then you're transphobic and like any which way you want to go because people take these these ideas out of their context and because we're all in a giant yep and it becomes and it, again it becomes this is why like on I depending on what part of Twitter you are on and which fandom I am both a person who advocates for incest and also as someone who absolutely is a terrible anti-Raylo despite having written it and been a, a fan uh, like back and forth like I'm I'm a terrible stand for Targaryens and I also absolutely hate Danny because I'm a misogynist like and then like because it depends on you know people will take who's these- seeing the thing and what right. mood they're even in like because like most people just miss like a megaverse on main me like like to the point where like uh, recent harassers have been like oh yeah stitch even hates a megaverse and i was like if there's one thing that i actively do not hate it's a megaverse i love <laughs> a megaverse it's like comfort food it's mashed potatoes it's i sit here going how do omegas do their laundry after heat like i have i just i i overthink this omegaverse is my jam and i talk about it often but because narratives are necessary to fuel fandom and because social media algorithms prioritize and reward people who are like like do you see this shit like even I do it I'm like and I've had this sob like so I only try to do it if it's about me you know or in the case of the old guard fandom where that one lady literally said I think slavery fic and not slave fic as fandom does it but literally like Mandingo right I think that is hot because it is transgressive Mm. right because like we're not going to talk about this but eventually we'll complicate what it means to deal not we unless you want to but complicate the idea of what it means to bring generational trauma to fandom so we'll make an appointment to talk about that in much greater length than a different episode but i will say this that you gotta have privilege to be an edgelord and that's all i'm don't know what kind it is but it's to go into a territory that is hurtful and messy you gotta have hip waiters on already to go there so um but yeah and and i think something that as we go into loki we know we're gonna have a lot of contentious discourse the d word um 
to remember that this is not just a thing for Loki fans. It's not just a thing for Marvel fans. This is a highly visible piece of media. And there are a lot of people who make money off of advertising, make money off of podcasting, make money off of YouTube videos that are going to be jumping into these conversations, um, preying on these conversations, antagonizing them, and the, and then publishing articles about them. Like I, I recently did a whole thread about uh, the ethics, questionable ethics of certain quote unquote journalists. Um, and in one where someone's TikTok, a uh, Starbucks employee's TikTok mm-hmm. was used um, a, 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 under the guise of talking about shortages in Starbucks stores, they essentially just like linked to a, an employee's TikTok, which put that them can- in danger of losing their job, which is the kind of journalism that's going to happen on fandom conflicts. Yeah. It's going to be, oh, look, a bunch of Loki fans are, you know, threatening uh, somebody, uh, a Black person who doesn't like the Loki show with rape. Or, you right. know, that, like, that, that's, that's It's something that, like, I definitely keep in mind, like, as I'm working. Like, so I do have one thing planned, if we can get to it, for fan service. That'll be not actually solely about Loki, but just, like, kind of the idea of what it means to be a, a villain stand without becoming a villain because that's absolutely possible or how to engage with villains but um i try not to at least for for teen vogue because that's a huge platform not to be like hey look at this small conflict like i'm never going to talk about things like aunties or pro shippers in teen vogue because that is a small conflict mm-hmm. that that specific thing is a conflict that does not exist outside of like 2000 people on the internet. That's not a big thing. It does suck because especially like I am personally affected by it, but it's not necessarily like the same thing as like the conversation about ableism and IO that like builds off of like how we, how we talk about black women characters or the harassment that Lacey Mosley got for iCarly like if it if it can't if somebody is going hey look at the specific moment and that's it mm, skip the article skip the youtube video right going look at this thing here's why it matters in its context maybe read it maybe right. watch it one thing i recommend to people in fandom when it comes to any kind of media covering fandom is to Go and lurk in romance fandom. Romance Landia is an easy tag to find and see how they're discussing whenever somebody outside of the romance genre writes about the romance genre. Because let me tell you, there's no faster way to lose all of your hair and some of your ass if you come for romance. And um, but there is a lot of discourse recently about should they just stop, you know, start ignoring those because they're baiting articles. And I think that, that fandom, we're still so new to the idea of media paying attention to what we do that it's still, it seems like, Oh, you know, even like the Omegaverse, you know, lawsuit when that got out, I remember all of it were like, there's a lawsuit about, tell me about the Omegaverse lawsuit. What's happening? Why is our dirty underwear out in the court of law? And like, so we need to have a perspective about what is going to be appealing to people who are not in the know and shouldn't even bother to try to consume that or even 
comment on it. Like yeah. other than to be like, whoa, <laughs> somebody didn't know what the fuck they were writing about. Um, and, and to know that there are going to also be people in those media circles that have been in fandom or in right. fandom who are going to use this as fodder because this is just the nature of journalism now. Um, and social media is very parasitic on this stuff to get engagement. Um, yeah. But yeah, so do you want to get to like predictions? Let's do predictions. You first, you first. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, on, T- on, on Loki's TVA paperwork, his genders, and I say this because he's currently occupying, you know, he's using he, him uh, pronouns currently in the show. Um, his gender is listed as fluid. And um, revealed towards the end of the episode is that the variant that Owen Wilson wants Loki to help him track down is Loki, is a Loki variant. Yep. Um, so there, I am not the first person to put these things forward. I will not take credit. Those theories are out there. But there are two theories. I, I like both of them to be legit. Okay. Um, one of them is that the Loki that is killing off the Minutemen teams also love that their teams are called Minutemen Um, (laughs) um, is Lady Loki um, and possibly there are two women in the cast that have not shown up yet one of them is a woman of color and I've heard that would be Sasha Lane yes I've heard a theory that it's going to be Sasha Lane as which I I tell you, you will hear me screaming like they will hear me on the satellites rotating the earth if if that happens. But so that the, the, the variant Loki that they're after is a woman or um, the other option is when that when they were in France and that child pointed to that stained glass of the devil. I was With like, horn. are we going to get a Jehotan Loki? I because believe we would deserve it. Chewing the blue gum and it has a blue devil on it. And I'm just like, I want Jehotan Loki so much. And and then, of course, the option is we get both. The option is we get to see multiple Lokis through this, which would be so, amazing. That is my biggest expectation that we're getting multiple Lokis. So um I I don't super keep up with the different casting spoilers because some of them are just nonsense. But apparently an actor named where is it? Uh Jack Veal. He's I don't know what he's been in, but he is in the series and he looks like he's um young. Looks like he's young. The timeline also links up because I was going to mention this when we were talking about Ant-Man, right? Uh Uh We have the pieces of the Young Avengers. Oh my gosh, if we got Kid Loki, I would cry. Great, so the pieces are coming together for the Young Avengers movie. I figured that out pretty quickly uh, when they started just introducing the kids. The only one that doesn't super make sense to me is Morgan Stark. So I'm like, I know that she's probably going to, they're going to give us something with her, but I just can't figure out what role she would play. But we have, you know, Hawkeye the second, we have Eli, we have, um, I keep forgetting her name, but Scott's child. Oh yeah. I can't remember her name. Yes. Scott's child. Um, Miss America, America. She's yeah. going to be in. Chavez, yeah. Yep. She's going to be in 
Multiverse of Madness. Multiverse We've of got Madness. Kamala coming up. Yep, well. that's in the Marvels. So Billy oh, and, and Teddy. Yeah. And, Billy and Tommy. Uh, Billy, Tommy, and Teddy, because we have Teddy by virtue of the scrolls. Oh, yes. So all of the pieces are actually in play for the first, like, couple of young avengers arcs and we've already seen marvel do um we're getting we're getting riri right and armor wars right i think so yeah and and then i'm trying to figure out like because they're doing like kid stuff like cartoons i don't know how much like crossover they're doing with their cartoons and the wider mcu but we're getting all of these characters that fit these really specific arcs across the comics for young avengers so i think one of the big ways that loki is going to set this up is with kid loki i'm so hungry kid loki (laughs) (laughs) and then um spiraling that into what we've already gotten so far um i also think that um we're gonna get a big twist with the tva but maybe not a a big twist to us people who have very suspicious personalities when it comes to these sorts of situations like we're like okay this this design is a lot these people are doing the most they are basically time cops but i think we're gonna get a some kind of like just shocking twist about or shocking to the narrative about what the tva is actually doing what their role in the multiverse is and loki is maybe existing in simultaneous antagonists well he's gonna be jason todd He's going to be antagonist, protagonist, a.k.a. Uh, anti-hero, whatever. He's going to be right. that for for the narrative properly. Exactly. Okay. And it's because to loop back to the other things I talked about, about like that Loki's existence and the current MCU timeline as Owen Wilson laid out for him was he was an antagonist. He was making everybody their better person. And so I feel, so because the natural question is ago, if this, this is Loki, this is a show about Loki, therefore he is the protagonist of the show, who is the antagonist of the show. And that is, the TVA. And so from his, we're going to, since we're seeing things from Loki's perspective to some extent, I think that in line with your theory that the big twist is going to be the TVA or the big bads. We are the bad guys. And I think because of the short, short short-ish pacing of the show, we're getting six episodes that we'll start to see this even better. Well, well, tomorrow for it. Let's 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 hope I get this out by the end of today so that you guys all will hear this. But second episode should be where we really start seeing the cracks in the TVA. And I think that I think that, that is actually... I'm excited. I'm so excited. I'm excited on so many levels about what this means for the greater MCU. I'm so excited to get all this extra time with Loki that I didn't think I was going to get. Yeah. Um, and just to see this team, which I believe, I, be, I want to say that this team is led, I think the executive producer is a woman. I'm not sure. Don't take my word on that. But um, but to see, but you feel it. There, are, yeah. I feel that there are other voices in that in that showrunners writing. So, um, looking at it, it's Faggy, Luis, Luis Disposito, Victoria Alonso. Um, Steven Broussard, Tom Hiddleston is an executive producer, which actually 
that very good. Uh, Kate Heron and Michael Waldron. Um, exciting. Um, I am really looking forward to this, like as a whole. Um, this this is everything. Right. Oh, an Easter egg. If people didn't know this, that um, apparently some on um, some interview with uh, Elizabeth Olsen, um, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan and Tom Hiddleston. Um, uh, Anthony Mackie gave Tom Hiddleston, actually him and Sebastian Stan gave Tom Hiddleston a, a hard time because they were on the same in the same studio um, set filming their stuff while Loki was in pre-production and apparently Tom Hiddleston gave a six hour like uh introduction on how on Loki basically like a thing on Loki and his depth of the character and whatnot and they were joking about how they didn't get invited to it a symposium they were saying a six hour symposium on Loki and I'm like like all the cute ha-has of that aside I'm like was he doing that to other, we giving that for other people who either writing on the show or are going to be playing Loki? I like, think. Was at that symposium. Oh. I have feelings, right? Like, like oh, I'm so excited. But yeah, no, I'm excited about all the levels on a fanish level, but also as like someone who, uh, you know, is into media and into depth. I feel like a story without having to be like on the page, like this is about oppression. Like the story is asking questions about from that Loki perspective of like, is order really a good thing? And who Mm -hmm. suffers when we decide that only one way is right. And I'm excited to see that story. The fact that that question was asked right off the bat in the first episode, I'm like, oh, we're going to have so much fun seeing them try to answer that question. It's going to be incredible. (sighs) Great. It has been lovely having you. And I am really excited to then make everyone listen to three three hours I don't know I don't do time whatever time it tells me whatever time you have right uh, of us talking about a lot we talked about so much and I think that we not to toot our own horns I think we did a pretty good job of being complex and thank you for coming on my podcast and being complex with me thank you for sharing your thoughts thank you for just being awesome (laughs) thank you thank you for inviting me this was such a great opportunity I love talking to you and it's so nice to be able to talk to you just free-flowing in our completely not linear way but yet it somehow fits together and I think we still like we have paths and we still get to our end goal but it was really fun you know the journey and I'm really excited to watch this show and to also you know lurk on your timeline (laughs) what you say after each episode and then of course I can't wait to come back after it's all over and to dissect everything yes we are going to deconstruct especially because I just saw that we're going to get a special from Marvel Studios Assemble for Loki so once we finish the series and we watch the the special for Loki after the series continues concludes we're going to be able to really just dig into the meat of what we experienced over the past six weeks well then the past six weeks yes (laughs) yes thank you thank you so much okay let's go (laughs)
you're still here, well, thanks for it. We have one more episode with Jean coming up at the end of the run for Loki. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts in between about the show, about Loki, about villains, about fans who become villains a little in their different spaces. I'm looking forward to having a great six-week run of Loki and supporting material. And I am just really grateful to Jean for coming on the podcast so that we can have this conversation and just so I can talk-ish about villains with one of my dear friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And we'll see you next episode.